Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, Boris Johnson is the new Prime Minister of the UK. What can he do that the old one couldn't? Thousands have signed a petition to penalize those that call 911 after an Amber Alert. Have we come to that? Conservative MP Pierre Polyev joins us to talk about Gerald Butts, Prime Minister Trudeau's former right-hand man, now back in the fold after the SNC-Lavalin Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal. It's all coming up on today's podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Boris Johnson, now the UK Prime Minister. He has defeated his opponent, Jeremy Hunt. No uh, surprise there. Hunter, uh, uh Sorry, uh, what does this spell for Brexit and what can Boris Johnson do that Theresa May couldn't? Let's bring in Stephen Fielding, professor of the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history and is with us now. Stephen, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. That's fine. That's, uh, happy to help. So first of all, what is the reaction in the UK on this? Surprise? They can't be, No. No great surprise at all. We've been waiting for this for quite some time because we all knew once Boris Johnson had got through as one of the two candidates that the MPs had selected, um, that the the members, 160,000 members of the party, most of them would vote for him. We knew that. And they did. About two thirds of them did. What can Boris Johnson do that Theresa May couldn't? (laughs) Well, he can't can't change the, the arithmetic in the House of Commons, which which thwarted Theresa May. Um, what he says that he will do is that he will convince Brussels, the European Union, that unless they change their tune, Britain will for a no-deal uh, Brexit. And he thinks that that will scare Brussels um, into, into becoming more flexible, particularly on uh, the Northern Ireland backstop. Because his argument has been that they didn't take Theresa May seriously um, because she didn't, if she did threaten a no deal, they didn't think she meant it. And so that's his one kind of trick, really. Um, Whether it works or not, many people think it won't. Um, Can he get more out of the European Union? I mean, and and again, didn't Theresa May already try this? Well, this is it. This is it. Um, I mean, the European Union has been quite clear. All the people who have got responsibility for, 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 for the negotiations have said that this is the deal. It will not change. Um, but Boris Johnson has been insistent throughout his campaign to become leader that if he goes with the threat of a no deal, they will say, well, OK, we believe you. We didn't believe Theresa May. And we know that a no deal will harm us. It will harm Britain, but it will also harm us. And therefore, we will become more flexible. That is the one kind of negotiating tactic which he appears to have. It's the only thing he's been talking about um, up until the point of being elected leader. Why would their perception of Boris Johnson be any different than that of Theresa May, especially with the same party? Well, this is, this is, this is the question. Um, I mean, many people have many commentators are thinking this is he's been living in a fantasy he's been in order to get elected as a leader of the conservative party he had to appeal to conservative members many of whom are quite happy to have a no deal they're very they're kind of brexit militants in the conservative party membership so in order to get elected he had to he had to sound as tough uh, as, as possible um and also there is a threat to the conservative party from the brexit party which has taken a, a significant number of votes 
away from the Conservatives in, in, the, in the last round of local and European elections. So people think that, some people say that he's saying this because he has to. Um, but he, the question is, does he mean it? And nobody really knows. I mean, Boris Johnson is, is a very, he's a very public figure, but he's also a very enigmatic, enigmatic figure. There are many Boris Johnsons, and nobody is quite sure which one will fetch up um, when he's into Downing Street. Uh, what happens if uh, the UK leaves with no deal? Who, who, who suffers more with that, the European Union or the UK? Well, um, Ireland is, 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 sadly, Ireland um, is the country that suffers the most um, because most of Ireland's trade is with the United Kingdom. Um, and then the United Kingdom suffers after Ireland. And the European Union, I mean, countries like Germany, France, those, those that have kind of lots of, there's lots of um, kind of car manufacturing components that, that go between all the various countries in the European Union and Britain's part of that supply chain. So there will be some disruption. Um, there will be the European Union will be hurt, but Britain will be hurt the most. But as I say, Ireland will be hurt of all of the countries in in this whole sorry mess. Ireland will be the one that will suffer. The it, most. If um, if Ireland, Northern Ireland, had not agreed to stay in the union, how would this have changed things if the UK had voted to stay together? Um, I don't. Well, I mean, the would that have changed probably, anything? Sorry. Would that have changed anything with the negotiation if uh, if they were on side? Well, the, the problem is that there is this Good Friday Agreement. This is this is this is the big sticking point, yeah, really. Yeah. The Good Friday Agreement, which which brought peace to Northern Ireland, and you know we don't need to rehearse all the terrible things that happened in Northern Ireland from, from the mm. late nineteen sixties, all the death and destruction, the terrorism. It was finally brought to an end with a Good Friday Agreement, which which basically stipulated there had to be an open border between the two countries. And of course, that was fine with Britain and, and Ireland being in the EU. There was an open border anyway. So nobody anticipated the yeah. border's status changing. Hmm. So um, where, where, if Boris Johnson uh, does not scare the EU into a better package for the UK, where does that leave the UK? Are they out without a deal? Well, that, that, that is it, yes. Um, this, this is the only conclusion that could be drawn. And um, what would the plan be, how, how would the plan be living outside of a deal? Well, um, I mean, you know, Britain will be able to survive um, outside of the European Union without a deal, um, but there will be a lot of disruption, considerable amounts of disruption as supply chains are broken, and... Um, Kind of because there will be no agreement. There will be literally no agreement as to how goods and services can be transferred between the two countries, between Britain and and the rest of the EU. Now, eventually, at some point, some emergency measures and agreements will be agreed, mm -hmm. transitional. But 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 nonetheless, there will be a significant amount of disruption. Some people calculate that this will have a significant effect on the British economy. It might enter a recession at least for a time. It will certainly have a, a, a very bad effect on the Irish economy. Um, so. A lots and lots of disruption in the short to medium term. Um, uh, how are citizens reacting to this to these results today? Well, like I said, I think we we all expected Boris Johnson to be to become the leader of the Conservative Party and and to become tomorrow the Prime Minister. Um, he's not. He's, he's quite a divisive figure because the issue on which he has defined himself so far, you know, that he's prepared for a No Deal. 
uh, Brexit, but he's very firm in terms of the conditions uh, that, that, that he's setting. Um, I mean, Britain is a very divided. It's very divided on this issue. I mean, it's it. it the polls suggest you know it can go one way or the other, but um, on this issue, he is on one side, and therefore those that wish to remain. Um, which is, you know, sometimes it's fifty percent, sometimes over, sometimes just under. They, they, are, they do not care for Boris Johnson, and he said he has set himself this task of uniting the country, and he's not taken a consensual position. Let's put it that way. How long before a general, another general election? Well, that's that's another question that nobody nobody really has an answer to because um, Johnson isn't really in control of the situation because the Conservative Party doesn't have a majority in the House of Commons. It, it, it only has a majority courtesy of an arrangement with the, um, the, the Ulster Unionists, which, of course, complicates the position with the Northern Ireland backstop, doesn't give them much flexibility on that. Hmm. Um, so it, it, it could happen. I mean, he could declare. I mean, some people think it's in his own best interest to call an election as soon as possible before he gets rejection that he inevitably will get that many people think he'll you know get. that's a very valid point why ride this ship all the way down why not try to change course midstream or, or at least at, at this point and uh and then see what ends up floating at the end would that not be do you, do you expect that will happen Stephen? well well the situation is so fluid is so uncertain there are so many variables that he might as well frankly um call an election and say and say i need your votes to get the strong a Brexit deal as I possibly can. The more you vote for me, the more able I'm able to do this. But the problem for him is that that is exactly what Theresa May said in 2017, and she didn't do very well. Hmm. Good point. Uh, could this end up in another referendum as part of a, an election <clears throat> campaign? Well, that's that's something that could. That's something. That, that's one of the many many possibilities that could happen. Boris Johnson himself is very against having a second referendum. I mean, talk about it's a betrayal of democracy because we should, Britain should, should honour the referendum that was held in 2016. But, but many other people, um, and there may be, not, there isn't a majority in the House of Commons for it as yet, but there might be um, a possibility of a second referendum. Are you there, Stephen? Yeah. Okay, sorry, you cut out there for a bit. It just seems that, you know, uh, despite who the Prime Minister is, there's, there's a stalemate here. This thing has come to a grinding halt. Does it seem that perhaps, as, as weird as it is, that, oh, we've lost him, we've lo <laughs> we lost him, he's gone. Ah, kind of like talking to my kids. I'm yapping away, I'm yapping away, and it's, are you here? Oh, my goodness, no, they're at the front playing. Uh, my point was going to be to, to uh, Stephen, and we'll try to get him back on for the uh, few remaining moments, is that, you know, whether it's Theresa May, there's just, so many, there's just so many obstacles in the way it just appears. Oh, you got him. Okay, cool. We're here. Hang on. Uh, are you there, Stephen? I am here, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, considering the stalemate, that the country is in with this. I mean, mm. it, it just appears there is no way out at this point. Is it, will it take another referendum to shake something loose? Well, um, this is why maybe an election is one of the more likeliest of, of, of outcomes in the short term, because while, while the House of Commons has the number of MPs from different parties as it does, there is no way 
feely that anything is going to get through the House of Commons. So <clears throat> Boris Johnson's one one chance, maybe, is to call this election that I've kind of maybe referred to and say, I need your votes. And and then to get enough Conservative MPs um, returned to deliver the Brexit that he wants or to get a no deal through or to whatever he wants to do, to give him the power. As things stand, there is... It is, it is a standoff. I mean, it's a standoff between the British government and the EU. Um, there's a standoff between the British government and the House of Commons. And just because somebody else is in number 10, I mean, maybe Boris Johnson believes he can magically transform the situation. Like, like he said, you know, Winston Churchill, one of his heroes, he said, you know, he, he changed the situation um, that Britain was facing in 1940 and turned defeat into victory. Um, maybe he can do that. I mean, not many people think he can, but not many people thought Winston Churchill could. Hmm. So unless there's something magical, the structural situation he, he is faced by is exactly the same as that faced by Theresa May. And there's no reason to believe he can really get a different result. What does the EU want at this point? I mean, obviously, I, I, I think they just want, I'm sure they just want peace in the valley. But at the end of the day, do, do, do they want them to stay? Do they want them to go? Have they just had enough of the whole thing? Well, I think, I think, you know, I think the French uh, in particular uh, would just want Britain to go and they don't really care how. I mean, at, at, at the most extreme. But I think overall, um, the EU, many, there's many, many countries in the EU would like Britain to stay, particularly the smaller countries, because Britain actually yeah. is much more sceptical about federal, federalism and is, you know, is maybe a counterweight to Germany and France. There's, there's many countries, and Germany itself, um, I mean, Angela Merkel has said she wants Britain to stay. So in an ideal situation, they'd love, they'd love the British just to go, hang on a minute, we'll forget all about it. But, but if that's not possible, they want a deal. They, they want Britain to leave with a deal with it, so, so that the transition from Britain leaving the EU to having a new kind of relationship uh, with the EU, which is still yet to be negotiated, by the way, um, they, they want as smooth an exit as possible. So, so maybe Boris Johnson and those of his mind are right that if they bang the table and threaten and say, we are really going to go with a no deal unless you give us what we want, there's an outside chance maybe they'll say, well, OK, then, for the greater good of everything. But they haven't said they're going to do that. But then you don't say that in negotiations, do you? So that's what he's banking on. That's the big gamble that Boris Johnson has got, which is, you know what, if I go in and I shout enough and I say no deal enough times, go back down. Will we know, will this be any more clear in a week, two no. weeks, <laughs> three weeks? Will at least we know which direction it's going in? Well, he will, he will presumably um, assemble a team um, of, I mean, have to have his own Brexit ministers, because a lot of um, senior cabinet ministers are, are, are in the process of resigning because they completely completely disagree with even putting no deal on the table so he's got to assemble a, a coherent cabinet um and then yes at some point i mean he'll have to go to brussels or send or send his brexit secretary and there has there will have to be a meeting and so at least the eu can confirm that they're not going to change um the deal uh, or or that maybe things can start to change um but i think it does have to happen quite soon um, whether it can do, he could get things together in a week or two weeks. Maybe that's a bit quick, but it does have to happen soon because 31st of October isn't that far away, and and the the deal that's all that's on the table took two years or more to to negotiate. Now, we're not saying they they want to negotiate every single aspect of it, but certainly the backstop, mm. the position of Northern Ireland, 
and, and the Republic of Ireland. That has to be something that is, is dealt with. And, and as things stand, it's, it's an intractable issue. Intractable issue. Um, but maybe magic, Boris Johnson can wave his, his wand and magic will happen. But um, we'll know that certainly by the end of the summer. Stephen Fielding has been with us, professor at the University of Nottingham, expert on British politics and political history. Stephen, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. My pleasure. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Amber Alerts. I remember I was on holidays when the last one came. And, um, yeah, I think it was at like uh, 3.45 or so in the morning. It was uh, it, it was quite late. Um, and, of course, whenever these things happen, we find the story, and, and hopefully it ends up good. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but nonetheless, there seems to be a rash of complaints and debate afterwards about what we do with the Amber Alert system. Uh, is there any way to make it more consistent? Is there any way to, I don't know, um, ease the complaints of some of the, the whiners that, uh, that are upset about this. Uh, specifically, uh, this story, a Toronto woman is calling on the provincial government to levy fines against people who call emergency, emergency dispatchers to complain, to complain about 911. So, you know, it's bad enough that the 911 operators get tied up with calls that are really not emergencies, but when people call up to give them hell because they woke them up in the middle of the night uh, with an amber alert, that being said, uh, you can see how this may upset people if, you know, the right situation comes up. And, and, and I'm certainly not to, trying to justify this in any way. Um, but, you know, everybody reacts to these sorts of things uh, differently. What do we have to do to uh, appease everyone and at least come up with some sort of consistent system? Uh, you know, we were talking in the newsroom about this where some people, their their phones won't go off, some will go off, some will go off, and they're, you know, you, you, you can't shut them off until you actually physically go into uh, uh, the phone itself. So, you know, perhaps some consistency would go a long way in all of this. That being said, it is relatively new, and obviously they are trying to uh, work the bugs out of it. Let's bring in Kevin Bryan, Professor Seneca College. He's a retired police officer and with us now. Kevin, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. No problem, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing well. You? Good, thanks. Kevin, isn't it already an offense to call 911 for something other than an emergency? No, it's not an offense. Maybe it should be, but uh, it, it's not an offense to call 911. Many people do it for, for many things. And uh, um, and for this, I mean, I, I heard you uh, invite callers to the show. I, I'll bet you get a lot of callers who, who would have... Um, issues with the with the Amber Alert system and, and having to uh, deal with uh, you know deal with Amber Alerts in the middle of the night when they're in Hamilton and the Amber Alerts for somebody in Ottawa. Yeah. Wondering, but I don't think you'll find a single caller who will admit that they actually phoned nine one one because you don't have people that stupid listening to your show. That's like why would you call nine one one? But people do do it. And I've spoken with 911 operators. It doesn't happen that often, but it does happen. And and what they wind up doing is once they get that phone call, and somebody says, "I'm phoning about the Amber Alert." Well, their first their first uh, instinct is, "Well, mm. what do you know about it? Did you see the vehicle? Do you right. know where the person is?" And once they indicate that no, they're phoning because it's a complaint, they do transfer them on to the non-emergency number. So they don't just hang up on them or anything like that. They do transfer them to the non-emergency number so they can make their complaint. But uh, And perhaps somebody can explain to them the use of the actual need for the number as opposed to... Yeah, 
and and that would be in the non-emergency. They got to keep the 911 lines open for real emergencies, and uh, so uh, you know when they do get transferred to the um, when they do get transferred to the uh, non-emergency number, hopefully that's going on. I, I don't know if it is, but uh, hope, hopefully you would think that. And, and these people who, who have the complaints about the Amber Alert system would probably feel a little bit different if it's their loved ones involved in the case. You know, hmm. As much as you want to complain and, and say, uh, there's nothing I can do about an emergency up in North Bay, um, you know what, a little inconvenience, uh, you know, when it goes out to actually uh, save somebody's life or, or do something good uh, is something we can all tolerate. And uh, and, and proof is it, it actually does work. There, there's instances where the cases have worked and, uh, and you know, you have to... Uh, put up with some, you know, some bothersome issues sometimes to to uh, have the cases that work and, and have a, a great resolution. So there is no uh, repercussion if someone does abuse this number and call it for the wrong reasons. I guess people are confused with, you know, calling 911 and reporting something that isn't accurate. I mean, maybe that's where they're confused. But to actually um, call 911 for something that it's not used for, that's not an offense. I'm, no, if you're going to call nine one, people phone nine one one for all kinds of reasons: barking yeah. dogs, noise complaints, all kinds of things, and they're quickly switched over to the non-emergency numbers. But you know what? I, I, I don't understand phoning. You know, these might just be people who are totally ignorant of the fact that the police's phone number is not nine one one. That's an emergency number for police, ambulance, and fire. It's not right. a it's not a police phone number to phone up and and talk to. Uh, you know, try and get a hold of a police officer to file a complaint or to uh, raise an issue. Uh, we got an interesting question from a listener on this. Um, what is an Amber Alert going to do when alerts become commonplace and no one responds? Will it get to the point where, you know, uh, an Amber Alert comes on and everybody just ignores it? I don't think so. It's be- because it really becomes commonplace. And they're very, police are very, very, I wouldn't say, I, I'd use the word hesitant, but they're very cautious with regards to they want to make sure before they issue an Amber Alert, that uh, all the parameters have been met. They, if you think about how many Amber Alerts have we had this year, you know what, I'll, I'll bet we can say, you know, we're into July, the seventh month of the year, there's probably been a half a dozen to ten. And, and you know what, they're not that commonplace. I don't think, I don't think we're going to see them where they do become that commonplace because they are restricted to children. They are restricted to uh, where there's a known suspect. Um, there, there's a... Um, the, the, they the are restricted to the they are restricted to children. Is that is that correct? I, I believe so. I think it has to be children. Mm, didn't know that. I haven't heard any Amber Alerts for older persons, unless I'm. Good uh, point. I, hey, I've been mistaken before, but I'm I'm pretty sure it has to be a child. So, what are your thoughts on uh, this person that has launched a, city, uh, a petition and hoping that the the province changes this? Uh, should there be, um, like you said, I guess it doesn't happen that often. If the message gets out, do you think it stops, or should there be a penalty for somebody who's dialing this number for not the right reasons? Yeah, and and again, if the person's just mistaken, and here's what I think: I think the court system is tied up to the point already where yeah. serious serious cases. Are not going to court because there's uh, there's no room in the courtrooms. Are we, we going to start bringing this to court as well and charging people and having court dates set for these people and such like that? Um, uh, I know people who do believe they should be charged. If to, to me, if they're if they're charging the if they're phoning nine one one just because they're ticked off, well, maybe you could lay a charge. But if if they're phoning nine one one because of ignorance, because uh, you know they don't know of any uh, that that's not the police number you know what, people make mistakes in that situation. I, I, I don't think we should be 
laying charges in all circumstances, but I guess officers do have discretion and they don't have to charge in all instances. But if somebody's just phoning to say the police just harassed me with an Amber Alert, I'm going to harass them by phoning 911, hmm. well then... Maybe you should be looking at some charges. Yeah, that is a little bizarre. Um, uh, I, I, what is the greatest complaint that that people are being told about something that, say, happening in Thunder Bay or happening in Sudbury that they don't feel geographically is of importance to them? Is exactly. that imp- is and, that and important I think that's to them? What it is. I, I mean, you know, I live in a small town north of Toronto, and, and I don't think if if somebody if somebody from my lo- my, my small town here got abducted. And or, or was missing, I don't think you'd find a single person within this township who would file, you know, who would be upset they got woke up at four in the morning yeah. or, or whatever the situation. Whereas if, you know, maybe somebody uh, on the other on the other side of uh, the province up in, you know, up in Thunder Bay or something might say, well, what the heck am I going to do about somebody just north of Toronto? So, so that is the biggest concern. I don't know if they have the... Uh, the, the capabilities at this time to kind of do some geographic or, or do limited uh, releases, I don't think they do. Maybe if they could do something where um, where an Amber Alert in Toronto just went out to certain area codes as opposed to area code, you know, so, you know, went to 647-905-416. If, if it just went out to those area codes in the 519s perhaps, um, as opposed to up into the 705s, you know. Maybe they could do something that way. I don't know if the technology is there for that yet, but that's something to think about. Yeah, I think that's, uh, as you mentioned, Kevin, I think that's an issue with a lot. It's just the inconsistency, perhaps. And again, right. I guess we're still relatively new into all of this. You know, I mean, uh, some people will be in the same house and one phone will go off, the other one won't, or uh, one mm-hmm. phone will go off and then it requires some sort of manual uh, uh, intervention to to shut it off, while another won't. So I think also if if they get some consistency on what happens to everybody, it, it probably might be a little bit uh, more palatable. Yeah, no, I'm in that situation. My wife's my wife's phone does go off with Amber Alerts. My phone does not go off with Amber Alerts, and I think that has to do with the age of the phone or something along that line. Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's the situation in my home. So that is there is not a lot of consistency there, and uh, you know what I, I, I know. I know that the police and, and that the uh, you know public safety people do try and and uh, you know work and, and, and try and make it so everybody's happy. But in reality, in reality, if you go back and, and, and check how many Amber Alerts there have actually been, it's not that many. And they have been successful. A lot of them have been, yeah. Sometimes tragically, I remember the one I think it was a Peel Region case where the father was found and, and the, the young kid right. had been yep. murdered and then the father yep. subsequently passed away as well. Mm. But, uh, you know, sometimes they don't always happen, you know, but uh, w- with happy endings, but uh, sometimes they do. Uh, another question from a listener. How do I opt out when I'm doing something that creates an unsafe condition when an Amber Alert is issued, for example, while driving? A text message would be safer. I receive it, and when it's safe to do so, I can read it. What about yeah, that? If you're, if you're, you know what, if, you, if you're driving, you know what, your phone's supposed to be in a certain location and, and you're not supposed to be checking it anyway. You know what I mean? So, I, 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 so yeah, I theoretically, if you're driving and an Amber Alert's going off, unless it's speaking to you, you can't stop and check it, can you? No. you you got well, to pull over. Pull over to the side of the road. You'd have to follow the rules of the road, which is uh, pull over to the side of the road, get off the highway, you know, and put your car in park, and then you can uh, check the Amber Alert at that point. I've never, I've never uh, talked to anybody who's actually encountered one while they were driving. I'm not sure what happens there. I'm sure it's the same with, with whatever phone. Some may go off, some may not go off. 
But yeah, that would scare the bejeebers out of you if you were yeah, driving. You'd be, wondering, you'd be wondering what happened for sure. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be, you'd be first thing you do is look in your rearview mirror and think, what's chasing me? Yeah, that's exactly right. You'd be checking your rear view and thinking, holy cow, who's behind me? Yeah. But yeah, no, that's something. If, they, if your phone goes off, whether it's a phone call, a text, or an Amber Alert, you know, you, you've got to pull over to the side of the road to check it and to have a look and read it. That's uh, kind of the rules of the road. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I never even uh, had thought of that. If anybody out there that uh, wants to send us a note or give us a call in regard to uh, what happens if you are driving while you're uh, while you're receiving this, what, what that experience is uh, is like, it seems we it seems people get more upset when it's in the middle of the night. Yeah. Okay, but it, it doesn't. To me, I understand that people would get upset. Number one, because of the geography, and they get upset that they can't do anything about it. Number two, why are they contacting me at four in the morning? I'm home in my bed sleeping. Yeah. I'm, I'm not out there looking, uh, driving on the roads looking. So, so people, you know, looking for uh, a suspect vehicle. So that's why people do get upset, you know. So, uh, h- however, while I understand them getting upset, or at least I can appreciate, okay, they're going to be upset. They're going to be upset. Um, why call 911? That yeah. I, I don't understand. Unless you're totally ignorant to the fact that the police have a real non-emergency number you can call, why are you calling 911 to complain? Uh, how, how, would you, how would you fix this system? In your mind, as, as a former police officer, what's it doing right? What's it doing wrong? I don't think it's doing a whole lot wrong. I think we could all tolerate a little bit of inconvenience in our life. And what it's doing right is it's getting as quick as they can to as many people as they can information out there with regards to a vulnerable person and a potential suspect. Um, and, and I, you know, as a police officer, a former police officer, I should say, I don't see a whole lot of issues with that. If, if that's an inconvenience that you can't tolerate, shut your phone off at night and put it in your drawer don't have it sitting by the bedside table. Yeah, that's a good point. You could just power down and that would solve it all. Uh, you know, as a, as a former cop, do you feel like society is turning a blind eye when someone says, hey, I need your help? No, but, uh, no, I don't think so. I, you know what, when I, it, an Amber Alert to me or, or anytime somebody's, uh, you know, putting out a, uh, something on the, on the radio or something for uh, asking for assistance, I, I kind of think for the most part people are in tune to it and uh you know if they're in the area or if they're you know if it's a missing person or something along those lines or um i i think for the most part uh people are you know with the with the amount of uh social media and such i think people are are, are very aware to uh, things that are going around uh, on around them and in their communities and are uh willing to help and uh, uh if they're able to that's what i that's what i see uh, do you think this is a temporary issue because it is all still relatively new and five years from now, and, you know, we'll, we'll be fine with it all? I think so. I think we'll still tweak things. You know, you, you know, technology just gets better and better and better. And, you know, if we, if we knew 20 years ago where we'd be today, we'd be shaking our heads. We'd be thinking somebody was uh, making stuff up. But uh, so who knows where we're going to be in another, you know, five or ten years, and, and the technology may be so it just... Uh, you know, so so it is able to uh, not be bothersome to anybody, and I think that uh, an Amber Alert uh, would just be uh, uh, something that uh, went to the people who wanted it, and uh, and I, and 
I, I don't think there'll be any uh, animosity towards any. Do you think? Do you think, Kevin, these will start to become commonplace over years, and and or do you think again these will still stay very limited to a, a, a limit, or you know, down to a limited situation, limited uh, scenarios? But what if those scenarios, I guess, increase? No, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna remain pretty limited. I think. I, I think as for actual Amber Alerts, I think they're. Um, They'll be uh, uh, just as common as we get right now. Um, as for other type of missing person reports and such, I think, you know, the technology and stuff will, uh, you know, move forward in that direction. And, and we do get alerted. If we want to be alerted, we'll get alerted of other um, issues in our community that uh, may need some attention. Is this the sort of thing where it is taking away from the job that 911 operators are doing? Like, for example, when these issues or these alerts go out, obviously they're standing by to receive information if someone has some. If all of a sudden uh, lots of calls start coming in and blasting them for that, uh, you could see how that would distract away from what they were doing. It, has it got to that point yet? Is this a pain for 911 yet or just... You, you know, yeah. an irritant. It's an inconvenience, and it's a pain in the butt anytime they get a call like that. But for the most part, they're very quick to move them from the nine one one queue over to the non emergency number. So they're very quick to get rid of them, so to speak, from the nine one one line, so they can get for actual emergencies. But you know, so. so I mean, it, it is an issue, but I don't think it's a, a huge issue. Number one, there's not that many nine, or sorry, that many Amber Alerts. And number two, they often do come at times of the day where there's not a lot of other nine one one activity, like in the middle of the night. Good point. And then, uh, in a third, uh, thirdly, they're they're trained and they're they're very quick to determine whether or not the person calling nine one one about the Amber Alert is somebody who actually has some information or somebody who. Um, is calling to complain, and if they are, if it is a complaint, they get rid of them quickly. Uh, interesting. Uh, I'll read part of this from a uh, another email. Uh, apparently, with newer phones, when you receive an Amber Alert, you have to physically dismiss it because it is considered an emergency that needs to be viewed. Uh, goes on to say, I feel there is a responsibility. Uh, people will be desensitized to a real uh, emergency at night, i.e. a tornado warning, thinking it's an amber alert and simply swiping it away. I believe text messages may be a better alternative as they do not require any physical dismissal of the year, uh, of the alert. P.S. People who complain about the alert should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, I, I guess with different technologies of phones, it, it, there's a, difference, a different experience here. You actually having to go and physically view it or look at it, but I guess if if your phone's screaming and yelling, you're going to do it anyway, aren't you? Yeah, you're, you're going to at least look at the screen and say, you know, is it an amber alert or is it a tornado? Right? I don't think you're going to. Oh, I'm just another amber alert. I'm, you know, I'm turning over. Uh, I'm sure it's a problem that uh, isn't going away anytime soon, and a little education will probably go a long way for a lot of people. Kevin Bryan has been with us, Professor Seneca College. He's a retired police officer. Thousands have signed a petition to penalize those who call 911 after an Amber Alert has been issued in order to complain about it. Kevin, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Anytime, Scott. Have a good day. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
All right, uh, we're continuing to talk, uh, talk about the story about uh, Gerald Butts. Uh, this is the former advisor to uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, very much instrumental in his uh, first election campaign, and then, of course, made uh, headlines w- during the whole SNC-Lavalin, Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal. Of course, you remember uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould as Attorney General approached uh, by uh, the Prime Minister's office, including Clerk to the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, and allegedly pressuring her to give SNC-Lavalin a deferred prosecution agreement. She thought that they did not qualify for that and that they were pressuring her into make this decision. All of a sudden, boom, she is out as Attorney General and demoted and eventually, of course, uh, out of the party completely. Uh, and now it has been announced, or it sort of leaked out this week, uh, this weekend, while you were probably uh, at the pool or the barbecue or uh, watching the kids play baseball or something or soccer, uh, that he is back and that he uh, is going to be a part of uh, of Justin Trudeau's election campaign, all while Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott are out of the party. And it'll be interesting to see if this resonates with Canadians as much as the initial story did. Let's bring in Pierre Polyeb. He is the Conservative MP for Carleton and is with us now. Pierre, thanks so much for the time. Much appreciated. Good to be with you. Uh, considering the impact that the SNC-Lavalin, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal had, how surprised are you the Prime Minister is bringing uh, butts back into the fold? Uh, is there no one else on the planet that can run an election campaign like he can? Well, there's no one else that can run Justin Trudeau like he can. He's long been known as the PMO puppet master, the guy who pulls the strings that makes uh, Justin Trudeau move and puts the words in Justin's mouth. Uh, And so it is uh, not surprising on the one hand that Justin would need to have Gerald back. Uh, What is surprising is that they would be so brazen to bring back uh, one of the chief architects of the SNC-Lavalin scandal uh, in the the lead-up to the next election um, in a decision-making role. Uh, You know, consider it this way. A chief architect of the SNC-Lav scam is in, and the two courageous and principled women who spoke out against that scandal are out. And that is everything you need to know about Trudeau's ethics. We remember when this story broke way back when, and boy, it, it was in the in the news for weeks, it seemed. We were talking about it pretty much uh, every day. It was very much resonating with Canadians. Many thought, I, I, I'm sure the, the Liberal Party as well, thought that this would, would was too deep into the weeds for most Canadians, and it seemed to resonate. Um, are you sure this is resonating with Canadians as much as the initial story was? I think it will. It will at least remind people why they were so angry in the first place. Let's recall, let's recap the scandal. SNC-Lavalin is charged with having given over $20 million in bribes to the Gaddafi regime in order to defraud the people of Libya of over $130 million. That's stealing, if true, that's stealing from the poorest people in the world. Now, if any other Canadian were charged, they'd have to go to trial, face a judge and or jury. But this company, which gave 100000 illegal dollars to the Liberal Party, went to the PMO, Justin Trudeau, 
uh, rammed through a bill allowing cor- accused corporate criminals to get off without trial. And he went to his attorney general and said, I want you to impose a deal of this type on the prosecutor. She said no. So they fired her as attorney general. She spoke out. Bots and Trudeau kicked her out of the Liberal Party altogether. They tried to destroy her reputation and ruin her because they da- she dared stand up to the PMO. Uh, now uh, the question is whether Canadians want to see more of this type of manipulative government, whether they want prime ministers interfering in criminal trials to help their friends, whether they think it's appropriate to punish principled, hardworking women like uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. Uh, do Jody Wilson-Raybould or Jane Philpott have to speak on the on this issue on butts coming back? Do they have to? Do they have to speak on this in order for the public to take notice? Uh, are you surprised there hasn't been more from them at this point? Well, maybe they will. I I don't know. I don't. I'm not in communication with either of them, but I they know uh, what Gerald Butts is all about. They know uh, how this uh, prime ministerial office has functioned. And uh, they could probably tell even more stories than they already have. Remember, Jane Philpott said there's a lot more to this story than what Canadians know so far. And I think there are a bunch of questions. One, did Butts get a severance when he resigned in disgrace? Two, if Trudeau's reelected, will he force his next attorney general to sign a deal with SNC-Lavalin dropping the prosecution? My prediction is yes, by Christmas time. The company will be off the charges, and Trudeau will impose a settlement. And uh, But he won't say that before the election. He'd rather do it after when it's too late for Canadians to hold him accountable. Let me jump in there, Pierre. Uh, as we remember, obviously, Jody Wilson-Raybould said that they did not qualify for a DPA. Uh, she is gone. David Lamenti is, is, is installed as the Auditor General. He's been quite mum on all of this through the whole scandal period and, and right up until the present. Will the new Attorney General, will David Lametti give SNC-Lavalin what Jody Wilson-Raybould won't? And what would the repercussions of that be? Yes, he will. I believe that's Trudeau's plan. That's why Minister Lametti was put in the job in the first place. They said, Jody won't play ball. She's too principled. She sticks to the law. We need someone who will do the political thing and help our friends over at SNC-Lavalin get out of these fraud and bribery charges. What are the repercussions? Well, remember, it wasn't just Jody Wilson-Raybould that refused to extend this agreement uh, to SNC-Lavalin. It was the top prosecutor in Canada, the director of public prosecutions, Madame Roussel. She said, uh, having read the law, that SNC did not qualify for this type of deal, and therefore she wouldn't give one. So if the Liberals force one through, I believe it would be illegal and it would be a political move uh, that would uh, favor the powerful over the people. We certainly have heard that SNC-Lavalin is hurting. Will the Prime Minister make this call prior to the election? Why not, if you're going to save it, use use it as an election strategy? He, He won't do it before the election. He'll do it afterwards when no one can hold them accountable for it. Um, and by the way, the SNC's problems are far bigger than this trial. They're yeah. related to its business operations and its financial statements. Uh, I, I don't believe that this uh, has ever been about protecting jobs. It's been about protecting powerful people who have a lot to lose if this matter goes to trial.
With uh, Gerald Butts back, does that make Michael Wernick now the fall guy? I suppose so. I mean, Trudeau, one of Trudeau's key defenses in this whole scandal was that he, the, the players had all resigned. You know, Michael Wernick had moved on. Gerald Butts had stepped aside. They were the fall guys. And now, well, Gerald Butts is back. And so you have to wonder why he resigned in the first place. Uh, his conduct was egregious enough that it required he leave the prime minister's office. But now we find out that he's still part of the prime minister's inner circle. What about those that say he's not really an advisor and back into the role that he was? All he's doing is advising those that are running the campaign. It's not like he's, you know, uh, embedded in the prime minister's office the way he once was. Well, uh, I don't believe that. I think he has a central role. And he is uh, driving the agenda. He's pulling the strings as the Trudeau's puppet master. I don't think anything has changed. And uh, it shows the prime minister is thoroughly emboldened. He thinks everyone forgot about the SNC-Lavalin scandal, moved on, he got away with it, and he can just go back and win the election and keep doing the same kind of things. Um, we know that's inappropriate. That's why conservatives have spoken out and we'll end the political interference in our criminal justice system if we form government in October. Why do you think this story resonated so much with Canadians way back when? Well, it contrasts between the people and the powerful. Do we have two different justice systems where if you're a homeless guy who takes a loaf of bread, you have to go to trial and face a judge. But if you're a powerful corporation that gives $100,000 of illegal money to the Liberal Party, you can just go to the PMO and get the charges set aside on your behalf. Uh, if that's the kind of system we live in, then that's, that's, not, uh, that's not the system Canadians grew up to expect. We believe in the rule of law, not the law of rulers. You know, uh, I'm stunned that this story resonated with Canadians the way it did initially. Happy it did, but surprised. It seems that it does not or is not garnishing the attention or garnering the attention that it did way back when. Is that because it's summer? Is that because it was lobbed in on a weekend? Um, Is this something that, you know, they always say a long time in politics between now and the next election. Is this something that Canadians will eventually, uh, after chewing on it for a bit, won't like it? Uh, It's hard to say. I think it it told them, taught them a lot about Trudeau. He promised he was going to do everything differently and turned out that uh, by different, he meant he was going to be more um, inappropriate than previous governments had ever been. Uh, so it, it definitely hurt his reputation with the average Canadian. It showed he's on the side of a powerful elite that thinks it's above the law and that uh, he believes there's two sets of rules, one for liberal insiders and one for every, another for everyone else. Um, so I think that will continue to permeate the debate as we go through to the election. Uh, is this, will this be uh, uh, something that will be in Andrew Shear's war chest? Is this something that uh, will constantly be coming up on a daily, weekly, monthly basis until the election? Absolutely. Uh, Andrew Shear will uh, hold Trudeau accountable for um, the corruption uh, in the SNC Lavalin and in the Mark Norman case. Both In both cases, the Prime Minister interfered in the criminal justice process in one case to help his friends, and in another 
to punish his enemies. Uh, Scheer will make the point that Canada is built on a rule of law where everyone is equal and no one is above the law. That's a basic conservative principle, and we'll be stating it and restating it right through to Election Day. Should the Prime Minister or Gerald Butt speak to this and, and justify this move to Canadians? Absolutely. And Trudeau told Canadians that they, they should just forget about SNC and move on. After all, it was a um, he, he, Gerald Butts had resigned, and the, and the matter was behind us. And now we find out that Gerald Butts is right back in the thick of it. So I think it's time the Prime Minister came out and explained why he thinks it's appropriate to kick Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott out while keeping Jerry Butts in. Uh, last question, Pierre. Uh, climate change, obviously, uh, very much a huge pillar uh, of the Liberal Party. Uh, we all know that uh, Gerald Butts was a past president of the World Wildlife Federation here in Canada. Do you expect that now climate change will be a f- the issue in this election? Well, we, we we're happy to debate that issue. We have a real plan for the environment. It uh, imposes mandatory greenhouse gas limits on large industrial corporations and requires those companies that fail to meet those limits uh, invest uh, a set amount in green technologies to clean up their companies or clean up their industries. It uh, um, gives uh, a, a green home tax credit to the average Canadian to help them with the cost of environmentally friendly renovations or appliances. Uh, And finally, it bans municipalities from pouring raw sewage into our waterways. You'll recall one of Trudeau's first acts as Prime Minister was to sign a permit, or his government signed a permit allowing Montreal to pour a billion liters of raw sewage into the St. Lawrence, which messes up the ecosystem, and in addition to being disgusting, we as Conservatives are going to put an end to that practice so we can protect our environment and combat uh, climate change. Pierre Polyev has been with us, uh, Conservative MP for Carleton, speaking out about Gerald Butts, former advisor to the Prime Minister, being back in the fold as advisor for his re-election campaign. Pierre, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.